We're in Ephesians chapter number four tonight, and I want you to look, if you would, in verse number one of Ephesians chapter number four. The Bible says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Tonight, I'd like to preach to you a message I've entitled, The Holy Ghost and Revival. The Holy Ghost and Revival. You know, a month from today, we will begin a brand new uh, meeting, uh, a new revival meeting, the fall revival that we uh, refer to it as. And it's been our church's custom to carve out some time each year in our calendar for what is commonly referred to as a revival. And um, since I have um, served as, as a pastor here, I've, I've wanted to, I wanted to prepare our church ahead of time. I, I don't want to wait until the week gets here to begin emphasizing uh, this concept. And um, just really have felt led of the Lord to uh, prepare our church for this meeting ahead of time with some just some messages on Sunday night. It's really the only time when our church is all together uh, as a church family. And, um, and so, again, I, I want you to understand what my heart is and my, my prayer, my desire is, again, that we not wait until the meeting gets here uh, to think about revival or to have revival. I told our men in men's prayer meeting this morning uh, that there's no reason why we have to wait until October the 1st to have revival as a church, uh, that we ought to be earnestly praying and seeking revival even, even this very night. Now, the word revival is defined as, as a return or a recall, or a recovery to life from death or from apparent death. In the spiritual realm, revival is defined as a renewed and more active attention to religion, an awakening of men to their spiritual concerns. And I really want to encourage our church from Scripture over the next few Sundays about this idea of revival. Now understand that God, our God, specializes in raising the dead back to life. If you study the Bible, you'll find numerous instances in which God does this. I, I want to take you, I want to remind you really of, of Genesis chapter number two. In Genesis chapter number two, we discover, we discover there the form or the outline, a body, we might say, of a man. But understand this, listen, there is no activity, there is no life whatsoever until God breathes into the nostrils of that man, the breath of life, and he becomes a living soul. Now, that's Genesis chapter number two and verse number seven. Um, but understand this, that God is not limited to bringing one man back to life at a time. In Ezekiel chapter number 37, we discover the prophet is led to a valley by God. He's led to a valley full of dry bones. And the word of the prophet at the urging of the commandment of God we find the prophet gives the word and these bones, the Bible says, that they, they came together and life began to come into them again. And, in, and a great army was reassembled in that very valley in which God led Ezekiel on that particular day. So understand, God doesn't just want to revive some of us. God isn't just capable of reviving some of us. No, God is capable of reviving every one of us. In a sense... Everyone in this room, listen, everyone in this room is not unfamiliar with revival. You see, you experience the revival, if, you've, if you're saved tonight, you experience the revival upon your new birth. 
In fact, we're in Ephesians chapter number four. Would you look in Ephesians chapter number two? It's right there in front of you. Look in verse number one. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. That word quickened there, it means you hath he made alive. You hath he raised back to life who at one time you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So understand that just as Adam's physical body lay lifeless until God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, just as that army of bones, it lay lifeless until God told the prophet to give the word, and the Spirit of God moved upon those bones, and they literally reassembled right in front of the prophet's eyes, and life came back into them. So you and I, every last one of us in this room, at one time we lay lifeless spiritually until God breathed into us the breath of eternal life. Now, sadly, many believers, maybe even some in this room, many believers will experience revival upon the new birth and will never taste of it again in this life. They'll never experience another revival apart from the day that they got saved. That's the extent of it. That's as far as they ever go. And understand that because of the curse of sin and because of the natural drift of our sin nature, it, listen, it is not possible It is not possible to avoid slipping into a state in which you need revival. It is not possible to avoid slipping into a state of lethargy and complacency spiritually unless unless we determine to do so. In other words, on your own, without an intentional activity, you will slip, you will fade into decline spiritually. And so, listen, by the way, so will our church. It's just, it's just the natural state of things. It's the curse of sin at work in all of our lives unless you determine, unless you are intentional about the thing, unless you guard your spiritual life daily and you meet with God every single day and you beg God for his spirit and you de- determine to stay sensitive to his leading, unless you take those kinds of steps, you will fade into a position of needing to be revived and so will our church. In other words, without, without emphasis like this, this is why we do a meeting like this. We don't do this just so we can put something else on the calendar. We don't do this just so that we can keep you occupied and give you something else to participate in just so that we can, here's a lot of people think, well, the church only opens the door so that people will give, give more money. I want you to know something. A meeting like this costs more money than anything. That's not the purpose of these things. We're not doing this just to fill some time. No, listen, we are doing this because we understand that God's people need to meet with God on a regular basis. God's people need to be revived. It is likely that many in this room, it's perhaps maybe the church body as a whole, is desperately in need of revival and we don't even know it. We don't even realize it. We've so, we've so drifted and we're so complacent, and we're so comfortable, and we're so at ease. We were so, uh, we've so sat on the sidelines for so long that we don't even realize that we're in a position in which we need revival. I believe a revival meeting and our preparing for it, I believe that's of the Lord. And God wants to use this to stir us out of any complacency and lethargy that has crept into our lives or our church. Now let's understand this revival is not a scheduled meeting. It's not. 
Revival is not an evangelist with a fiery sermon. Revival is not a big crowd of people. Revival is not a warm feeling that comes over us in a spiritual meeting. No, listen, revival is God's people returning back to God with their whole heart and their whole soul. I want you to hold your place here in Ephesians chapter number four, and I want you to go with me to James chapter number four, because I believe that this, this is a picture of revival. Look in James chapter four and verse number eight. Look at the Bible, it says in James 4 and verse number 8. Now remember, revival is a return. It is a recall. It is a renewed passion and activity back to spiritual things. Look at what James 4 and verse number 8 says. Draw nigh to God. You know what that is? That's this. He's saying return to God. Return. Draw nigh to him. You've wandered away. You've You've slipped away into a state of complacency. Get back to God. Draw nigh to God. Notice, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. That's revival. Listen, we have emphasized the work of the Holy Spirit in our church this year. I think on every Sunday night, with maybe the exception of one or two for a special emphasis, the Lord has allowed me, when I'm preaching on Sunday night, to preach messages regarding the Holy Spirit. And I just want to say that the Holy Spirit of God, listen, he is as involved in revival as he is in any other thing that we've preached about this year. I believe what is found in Ephesians chapter 4 is a recipe for revival, listen, that is authored by the Holy Spirit of God himself. I believe that what we find in this particular chapter is a recipe for revival. In other words, if if you and I will give attention to what is found in this particular chapter, I believe with all of my heart we can be a church, listen, that is living in revival before the meeting even arrives. Listen, we can have a touch of revival even this very evening if we'll consider the truths that are found in this particular text. Number one, I want you to consider with me the invitation of the apostle. You see it in verse number one? I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you. He's saying, I invite you. I encourage you. I'm begging you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. And I just want to remind you tonight, church family, listen, we bear a name that is not our own. We've been given a name that is not our own. If you're saved tonight, if you're a believer tonight, you are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. You are a child of God. You have been given God's name. You bear that name in this life. We bear a name that is not our own. The Bible says, In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now listen, because I bear his name, I have an obligation, I have a responsibility to glorify God in my body and in my spirit, because listen, those things no longer belong to me, they belong to him. God, listen, God's not, just, God's not just interested in what you do with your body physically. God's interested in how you conduct yourself in, in your spirit as well. You know, sometimes 
Sometimes people are really good at dressing up this, this outer facade. And we can make that look really, really good. And yet, listen, listen, we can be as mean and as nasty as anybody alive. And God says, listen, you're, you're, not, you're not really glorifying me. And you're not, I'm not really getting what I've paid for if you've just fixed up the outer facade. No, God wants us to glorify him, not just in our body, but in our spirit. Now listen, that's what revival is. Revival is not, is not fixing up the outside. Revival is giving attention to the spirit of man. Revival is giving attention to uh, the spiritual needs. And I, and I firmly believe this, that if we'll give attention to the spiritual needs, I believe at some point, the, the physical, the outer, the body type things, those will come along. But revival is about addressing the spiritual needs of a man first. The Apostle Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, urges the Ephesian believers to walk worthy of their calling. We're to live in a way, listen, here's what he's saying. You are to live in a way that is becoming of a believer. Have you ever... Have you ever done something and as soon as you did it, you felt instant regret and remorse? Like, I, I blew it there. I went too far there. I didn't, mean to, I didn't mean to say that. I didn't mean to do this or to do that. I just, I just want you to know that as, as a believer, listen, you have, an, you have an obligation to walk worthy. To walk worthy of your vocation, which is really what you're saying, walk worthy of your calling. As God's people, I believe we need to figure out what this book teaches, and we need to live it. That's what it means to walk worthy. What does this book teach us to do? Where is, how is God leading us? This book is our manual for life and living. Are there areas in your life that are out of sorts? Listen, they're out of sorts with your calling as a believer. Is that possible? Do you allow some things to creep into your life? You've tolerated some things in your life that ought not to be there. The, the things that are in your life that maybe the Holy Spirit of God is putting his finger on in your heart at this very moment, you understand these things are not becoming of a Christian. In other words, when someone sees me participate in this, when someone sees me conduct myself in this way, they don't automatically think, oh, I bet he's a follower of Christ. No, instead they might think, man, he's a jerk. And he's a nasty person. He's unkind He's un, unholy. He's unrighteous. That's not walking worthy of the vocation in which we are called. I do believe, I believe for every one of us in this room, we could identify some areas in our lives in which we're not walking worthy of the Christian name that we carry. By the way, a name that is not our own. And may God help us to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God's leading in these areas. Tonight, the Holy Spirit of God is perhaps convicting. I've really not said a whole lot. I've not dabbled in a whole lot of sins at this point in time. But I believe this, the Holy Spirit of God is more than capable of putting his, his, his finger of conviction upon an area of your life without me saying a single word about it. And if there's someone sitting here tonight, the Holy Spirit of God is convicting you. That's you. You're not walking worthy of the location wherewith you've called. You're not, you're not walking worthy of your calling You've allowed some unholy habits and some unholy patterns to form in your life. You say, what should I do with that? Here's what I believe you need to do because there can be no revival until we, first of all, are willing to repent of any unworthy habits or patterns that we have allowed in our lives and begin, listen, begin today with God's help to walk worthy 
of the vocation wherewith we've been called. So that's the invitation of the apostle. But notice, secondly, and we'll spend the bulk of our time here, I want you to consider, number two, the ingredients for revival. They're found in verses two and three. I believe we find three necessary ingredients that must be in our hearts and in our lives, in our church, if we're going to have revivals. Revival, I don't think that we can have it without these. And as we discuss these, and again, as the Holy Spirit shows them to maybe be lacking in our lives or maybe lacking in our church, may we seek his help and power so that we can be, uh, so, that, so that these things can be restored among us and so that we can have revival. Number one, as I look in verse number two, he says that we walk worthy of the vocation worthy of your call. That's the invitation. Notice the ingredients. With all, number one, with all lowliness and meekness, the first ingredient is this, number one, humility. Humility. If we're gonna experience revival as a church, if you're gonna experience a revival as an individual, if your home is going to experience revival, number one, there must be a spirit of lowliness and meekness. There must be a spirit of humility. Can I say this? It is quite clear to me from Scripture that it is not possible for a proud man to have revival. You know, when we talk about the United States of America and how long it's been since we've had revival, I'm reminded that it's not possible for a proud group of people to have revival. No, no, listen, revival only comes as we humble ourselves with all lowliness and meekness. The Bible says in Psalm 138 and verse number six, though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. You see, there's a distance between God and a prideful person. But God says this, he says, though I be high and lifted up, yet I have respect unto those who are full of humility. I have respect unto the lowly. Listen how it's stated in Proverbs 3 and verse number 34. Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace unto the lowly. James 4 and verse number 6, the Bible says, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. These verses and probably 20 or 30 more like them you could find in your scripture, in your Bible, that reveal to us that a proud man cannot have revival until he lays aside his pride and he approaches God with a spirit of humility. You understand this? You say, well, why is this important? It's important because pride is a sin that every last one of us struggles with. It is the Achilles heel for every believer. It is the Achilles heel for every church. And I believe it's the Achilles heel for the United States of America. Pride. We are lifted up with pride. We are full of ourselves. We, are, uh, we look at ourselves and we think we could never be brought low can I say, it is not natural, it is not natural for you to be humble, but it is very natural for you to be proud. And understand this, pride destroys people, pride destroys marriages and homes, pride destroys, destroys friendships, pride destroys churches and communities, pride destroys everything that it touches. It is interesting to me to note that the Ephesian believers who Paul is writing to in this, in this text, they had seen they had seen an example of what they were being urged to do in this text. Hold your place in Ephesians 4 and go with me to Acts chapter number 20. In Acts chapter number 20, the Apostle Paul is heading back to Jerusalem. 
And as he's heading back to Jerusalem, he wants to be there for a specific feast and celebration. And, um, and, he's, and, he's, and he's kind of retracing some of his steps. And he wants to swing by Ephesus for probably the last and final time. But he realizes, if I go all the way to Ephesus, I'll never make it to Jerusalem for this feast. And so what he does is he invites the Ephesian elders. The whole church can't be involved. But he invites the Ephesian elders, the leaders in that church, to come and to meet him at sort of a central location that doesn't take him off, of course. They have to travel a little bit, but it's worth it because they'll get an opportunity to spend some time with the Apostle Paul. And it's really a fascinating chapter, Acts chapter number 20, in which he really recounts the ministry that they had together, what God had done in that church, and then he says goodbye to them. And they realize that this is likely a final goodbye. They'll never see one another on this side of eternity. And that would end up being the case. Now look in verse number 18. Ephesians chapter number 20. In verse number 18, he's in in Miletus, according to verse number 17. He sends to Ephesus and he called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know, from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. Notice verse number 19. Serving the Lord with what? With all humility of mind. So when Paul writes in Ephesians chapter number four, and he says this, listen, you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you've been called, with all lowliness and meekness. They could, listen, in their minds, they could think back to his laboring among them they could think back to the way that he conducted themselves and himself, and they could say, while he was with us, he fulfilled this particular demand. He served the Lord with all lowliness or humility of mind. Paul was a man, listen, with apostolic authority, and Paul not only had apostolic authority, but he had unique intellectual gifting, and yet, and yet he approached the ministry with great humility. In other words, he's saying this, he says, listen, when I was among you, when I labored among you, when I served you in that period of time when we were working together, he said this, he says, I never lorded over you. I never never exercised my apostolic authority over you. I, I I never made you feel as if you were beneath me or as if you were lowly in my sight. No, he, he said, listen, I, I didn't treat you that way. And here's what, here's what I truly believe. I believe that humility begins at the top. It begins at the top. Here's what I mean by that. Listen, if dad displays humility, then the rest of the family will be in a much better place to do the same. So if you look at your, if you look at your home and you look at your family, and if there seems to be a great deal of pride and, and a great deal of vanity in your home and in your family, then you might, you might tonight, Dad, you might have to look at yourself and say, am I the one that is keeping us from displaying humility in our home? Because humility begins at the top. Paul teaches us that. I, I want to say this, listen, if the pastor displays humility, then the church family will likely reflect that same spirit. That's how it works. And those of you that perhaps maybe you're not the pastor here, but you, you have some leadership position. Maybe you're a deacon or a trustee, or perhaps you're a member of the pastoral team. Listen, understand this. The standard for you is humility as well. It begins at the top. 
And if God would, would, would help us to understand who we really are and to see who we really are, we're nothing more than sinners who have been saved by grace, no matter, listen, no matter what title we bear in this life. That's who we are. God would help us to humble ourselves in his sight. I believe, listen, we can see the fires of revival begin to burn. God's people humble themselves. Here's what this could mean. Humility. For some of you in here, that could mean shedding a tear. God speaks to your heart about something. Well, we don't like to cry. We don't like to show emotional vulnerability. We don't like for, you know, I don't want anybody to see me cry. Men, Men lead the way of this, but they're not the only ones. We resist shedding tears. We resist crying. We don't want anyone to think that we're stirred up about anything. We don't want anyone to think that we're, no, we've, been, we, we've been brought low about a matter. This could mean, listen, this could mean for some of you, this could mean visiting an altar publicly. There might be, there might be someone in this room and you, you haven't been to an altar in years. Well, don't expect, listen, if, if, if the reason behind that is your pride, If that's the reason behind it, don't expect to to have revival. And understand this, that likely, if you'll maintain that spirit, you're going to keep the rest of us from experiencing revival as well. Because this is a collective thing. This is what God is wanting to do in all of our hearts and in all of our lives. It could mean, it could mean someone displaying humility by testifying of God's grace and his goodness. Periodically, you know, somebody will stand up in front of a group of people and say, does anybody have a testimony to share? Anybody, God's done something special in your life? And you know, you know, that if you, if you ask them, hey, does anybody see what happened in the ball game last night? You get 100 voices. Well, this was, this was happening, and then somebody had a big hit, and then the team came, you know, they rallied from behind. But if you, ask, if you ask a group of people, does anybody have a testimony to share? It is silent in most settings. And if it's not, it's usually the same people this, over and over again who are saying the same things. I don't know why that is. That's oftentimes the case. If you're sitting in a setting like that and you say, you know, I would, I would say something, but I don't want anybody to think, you know, that I'm some holy roller or I'm some this or I'm some that. I don't want anybody to think that I just can't wait to, you know, to have the floor. It's not about that. It's about sharing what God has done in your life. Periodically, we'll, we'll, we'll call someone and say, hey, you know, and we've just been watching you and feel like you might have a testimony to share and we're coming into a testimony service. Would you be willing to stand in front of the church? Oh, no, no, I could never do that. Why not? Why can't you? Now, listen, I get it. To, to, to some, the idea of standing in front of a group of people is terrifying. I understand that. But listen, I want you to understand something. This is not just any group of people. This is a family. That's what we are. This is not some collection of strangers. Now, now there might be some people in here that you'd stand up, you look, and most of these people are strangers, and there, there's a problem there. There's a problem there. The Bible says him, him that have friends must show himself friendly. You get here, and you get here early enough, and you stick around afterwards long enough, and you can begin to meet some people and mingle with some people. But I'm just simply saying, listen, if you say, I'd never stand in front of a group of people, is it possible that pride's got a hold of you? 
I don't want to say something that might embarrass me or, you know, I don't want to get choked up. I don't want this. You know what's at the heart of all of that? What's at the heart of all of that is pride. That's pride. We can't have revival if if we're filled with pride. How about somebody emerging from our comfort zone in some way? Man, I sometimes, you know, this is a northern church. We're, we're a bunch of northerners up here. And, and as, a result of, as a result of that, sometimes we're a little, we're a little um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. We're a little, um, I don't, I, there's no word for it. There's just no word for it for what we are. Cold, maybe? I mean, possibly, in our worship. Every once in a while, you know, that choir gets to singing and that orchestra gets to playing or, man, somebody gets to preaching and they get, God gets in them. And you know what I want to do? I want to lift my hand high in the air. But I'm afraid if I do that, somebody's going to think I'm nuts. And so you know what I do? I keep my hands in my pocket. Because I don't, because I'm, I'm as prideful as anybody else. I don't want anybody to think, well, that guy's getting with it up there. That guy's getting ready to come unglued. What's he going to do next? He's got his hand in the air. Some, some, some of you, some of you, God, God, God has given you a beautiful voice, but you'd, you'd never be caught dead standing up here singing. And you know, there, you, you could list a lot of reasons, but probably at the end of the, at the, end of the day, it's essentially it's just pride. I, I don't want to get up there in front of people. What if, I, what if my voice cracks? Listen, my voice cracks every single Sunday, and my kids make fun of me about it all the time. So, you know, just... Just, just get up here and, again, this is a family. This is not a concert venue. This is not a perfor- performance hall. This is an American Idol. Nobody's going on from here to do anything, all right? This is, God has done something in my heart, and I don't, I don't care who knows it. I, I just want to please God, and I just want to serve God, and I want God to get all of the glory in my life. That's what this is about. But we've turned, we've turned the church into a concert venue. Into America's Got Talent. Cleveland Baptist has got talent. And, 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 and we, we only want to hear from, from, from these people. Or we only, we only want this to happen or that to happen. And I'm just simply saying, listen, maybe God wants to get us out of that. And maybe God wants us to approach, approach our, our, our worship of him with all lowliness and with all meekness. With a spirit of humility. Maybe, maybe there's some folks that need to come to the altar that haven't bent your knee in a church setting like this in decades. And maybe the Holy Spirit of God is saying, that's you. You lead the way. You be the one to lay aside your pride. And you be the one to approach me with a spirit of lowliness and meekness. There will be no revival without humility. Notice secondly, this is a tough one. There will be no revival without forgiveness. There will be no revival without forgiveness. Going back to Ephesians chapter number four. The Holy Spirit of God gives us the second ingredient. If we're going to walk worthy, we're going to return to what God would have us to be. With all lowliness and meekness, notice, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. The apostle uses these terms. In order to have revival, we're going to have to get over some things. That's really what it means for, for bearing. It means to get over some things. You know, it's amazing how the mind works, isn't it? 
There are some details about the birth of my children that I simply just don't remember. In fact, it's so bad. It is so bad that sometimes a picture will pop up on memories on Facebook, and my wife will send it to me, and I'll have to answer back, now, which kid is this again? I mean, honestly. I mean, we're talking about brand newborn babies. I, I feel like sometimes they sort of all kind of look the same. Those of you that are like, no, nah, he looks like his grandfather. No, he doesn't. He looks like every other baby that's ever been born. That's what he looks like. And there's something about moms. They've got an ability to see things that we dads can't see. But you know, I, I think to myself, the birth of my children, those are some of the greatest days of my life. And yet many of the details about that day are just, they're just gone for me. I, I can't explain that. But, but talk to me about that person that hurt or offended me 30 years ago. And I can, I mean, I can down to the, what they were wearing on that day, I can tell you about it. Who it was and where it happened and exactly what they said and what they did and what time it was on the clock when all of that unfolded. Why is the mind that way? Why do we struggle to remember beautiful moments and wonderful moments, but boy, the hurtful moments, the moments in which we were devastated and when we were offended, those moments stick with us to the very end of time. The word for bearing, it means to hold oneself up against, to put up with. The word long-suffering, it literally means to forbear. So in other words, listen, to please Christ and to have revival, I'm going to have to let go of some things. Because that's what it means to, to, to forbear. It means to let go of some things. Can I just say, number one, let go of some things that really aren't that big of a deal. You might have to just let go of some things that really aren't that big of a deal. I'm just going to say that a lot of what divides us isn't really that big of a deal. Even some of the things that we think are a big deal really aren't that significant if you really stop to think about it. A lot of what divides us perhaps is personality clashes or maybe, maybe some level of misunderstanding. And one of the things, listen, one of the things you might have, have to learn to do if you really long for revival is you're going to have to quit. You're going to have to quit ascribing motivations to people. Because we're really good. We're really good at, at doing this. I bet when he looked at me, I bet he was thinking this. I bet when she, I bet when she said that, I'll bet here's where her mind was. You know what we're doing? We're, 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 we're ascribing motivations to people, and you don't know where their mind was. Man, this, uh, this, this, is, this is something, man, the devil can get into some things. And you know, if we're going to have revival, we're going to have to let go of some things that really aren't that big of a deal. Man, you didn't get invited to something. You won't be the first person to get invited to something. You won't be the last. Just let go of it. You didn't get asked, you didn't get asked to lead in this, this venture and that or this thing or that. Or on the big Sunday, you didn't get asked to sing. Or you didn't get asked to lead in prayer. Or you didn't get asked to teach this class or that class. You know what? Just let go of it. Let go of it. Let go of things that aren't really that big of a deal. Listen, you really don't know what's in someone's heart. You really don't. Only God, only God sees the heart. I realize by their fruits you shall know them. I understand that. But I'm just simply saying, listen, if you're, gonna, if you're not going to forbear, if we're going to be long-suffering, we're going to have to let go of some things that really aren't that big of a deal. Let go of things that aren't that big of a deal. But no, secondly, let go of some things that happened a long time ago. 
There may be some in here, you're holding on to grudges and offenses that are decades old. You know, you know I think the word of God is telling you, know what the Holy Spirit of God is saying? He's saying, let go of it. Release it. I've come to the conclusion that there are some things that will happen down here. Listen, there are some things that will happen down here that you and I will never get full closure on until we are up there. In other words, there are some things that have unfolded in all of our lives. We talked about Joseph this morning. Remember, we said, God, learn to see God in everything. And Joseph came to the other side of it. And Joseph could look at his brothers. And, and, and we gave that, that text this morning. You, you sold me, but God sent me. You thought it for evil, but God meant it unto good. And that's awesome that Joseph had that story to, to look back on. And, and he could see what God was doing every step of the way. But you know what? I, I'm afraid that that's not always the case. There are some things that will unfold in your life and in my life in which I'm, I'm, never, gonna, I'm never maybe going to get every answer about every little thing. You know what I think God would have us to do? I think God would have us to let go of it. Just release it. Just say, God, that's in your hands. I don't know why that person did that. I don't know why that person offended me in that way. I don't know what, the, what was going on there, but I'm just going to let go of it. I believe there's some folks here tonight who could stand to visit to an altar, maybe to lay to lay something down here that you've carried far too long. And by the way, not only have you carried it far too long, but it's something God never meant for you to carry to begin with. This burden has overwhelmed you. It's transformed you. It's kept you from moving forward in your spiritual walk. Won't you just give it to him and let go of it tonight? Number three, I want to say this. Biblically, biblically confront things that should be dealt with. Again, some things are really not that big of a deal. Just let go of it. And some things are decades old. I mean, it happened 35 years ago. Let go of it and move on. There are some things in our lives that need, need to be biblically confronted. Jesus taught very clearly the principle of going to a person and dealing with them directly as it relates to offenses. Matthew 5, 23 and 24 said, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar... And there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. Now in that context, in Matthew 5, Jesus is saying you're getting ready to give your offering at the church, at the church house, at the house of worship, temple, synagogue, whatever. In this context, it would have been the temple. And he says, and you remember that someone has something against you. Perhaps you, somehow you've offended it. Maybe you didn't even realize it, but you know, you know that there's something going on there. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, go to them. In, in Matthew chapter 18, here's what he says. More of thy brother shall trespass against thee. So in Matthew 5, you're the one that likely has committed the offense. In Matthew 18, the other person has committed the offense. So who, no, who needs to go to the person? In both cases, Jesus says, you go to the person. You take the initiative. Both instances. Both instances, Christ's followers are to lead the way. Listen, listen, who, who led the way in you being reconciled to God? Did you lead the way? No. You were the offender. You were the sinner. And what did God do? God came to you. God led the way. God's telling us, listen, Listen, it doesn't, doesn't matter whether someone offended you or hurt you or whether you offended them. You take the initiative. As one of my followers, you lead the way. What if we were committed to this? What if we were just committed to it? Man, I, 
When I, when I feel like there's something between me and a brother, I'm going to that person and I, I'm gonna sit down and I'm just gonna try to figure it out with a spirit, by the way, with a spirit of humility and lowliness and meekness. I think it'd revolutionize our lives, our homes, our churches. But instead, here's what we do. We internalize everything. We never fully deal with it. And listen, here's what it causes us to do. It causes us to have to walk with a limp throughout our lives spiritually. In other words, we are wounded and we've never found real healing. And as a result, listen, it shows. It shows. We're never able to get at full speed spiritually because we've, we've, we've not dealt with matters that have come our way. Could it be that the one thing that is preventing revival in our lives, in our homes, and in our church is forgiveness? Long-suffering, forbearing, letting go of some things? Some of you might need to come to the altar tonight. You might need to leave some things here and walk away and determine I'm not going back to that altar and I'm not picking that up again. I'm leaving it there. I'm letting go of it tonight. Thirdly and finally tonight, notice the third ingredient, humility, forgiveness. Number three, unity. Verse number three, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. You know, the word unity means oneness and speaks of a unified spirit or oneness of spirit. And you know, I, just wanna, I just wanna go on record tonight and just say this, listen, we really are on the same team here. I mean, we really are. We, 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 we should be united and we should be passionate about the same things. What, 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 things ought to, what things ought to excite us as a church family? Here's what we ought to be excited about. We ought to, we ought to rejoice in the salvation of lost souls. And we ought to be thrilled when we hear about that. We ought to rejoice in the baptism of new believers. Man, that ought to just thrill us. Somebody gets in that water, and someone uh, acknowledges that they were lost, but Jesus has found them, and they're not ashamed of him, and they want everyone to know that Jesus is their Savior. That ought to thrill us. But we ought to rejoice in the calling of a man or the calling of a family to the ministry. When somebody, when somebody responds to an invitation or perhaps they stand in front of a group of God's been working in my heart and I believe God wants me to go to the mission field or I think God wants me to go to Bible college. I don't have everything figured out, but I think God's doing something special in my life. Man, we ought to celebrate that. We ought to rejoice in that. We ought to rejoice in the accomplishment of an individual or the accomplishment of a church body. In other words, we should not be divided into factions and parties. Listen, there are cliques and there are are groups of people just about everywhere you go, but it should be different here. It should be. And that's not to say that you're not gonna have you know, some closer friends than others, especially in a church this size. It's not gonna be possible if you be close friends with everybody. But listen, everybody ought to be welcome in your circle. There ought not to be anybody that we, oh, we don't talk to them. You know, they sit in the balcony. We're on the main floor. We don't have anything to do with them. They're in the choir. We're in the orchestra. We're... You know, we're better than that. Now, I'm, I, now, that's crazy, and that's not happening here. But I'm just, I'm trying to exaggerate just a little bit to show you how silly that is. And we're on the same team. And notice, notice, if we're gonna have unity, number one, this requires effort. Do you see that word at the beginning of verse number three, endeavoring? It's a big word. It, here, here's, 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 here's the word. It, it's the Greek word, spadazo, and it means to use speed, or to make effort, be prompt or earnest, be diligent. Here, here's what I believe it's saying. I believe the Holy Spirit of God is not only telling us to work at unity, 
But I think he's telling us to work at it immediately. In other words, not to let another day go by in which we don't give some attention to unity. I mean, we're to do it in an urgent manner. It requires effort if we're gonna be unified with one another. Notice, I think, not only does it require effort, but number two, I believe it requires the Holy Spirit. Notice what he says, they're endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Now, if you'll look real closely, you'll find that that word Spirit is capitalized. And when it's capitalized, that's speaking of the Holy Spirit of God. It is not possible to have unity apart from his filling. You know, there are, there are some people who, who, who actually believe that only pastors, only evangelists, and only missionaries need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to know something. Listen, I believe God wants every believer to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not just something for the pastor. Some of you say, Pastor, I'm praying. I'm praying for you to be filled. And you know what? You know what I need to start doing? I need to start looking at you saying, are you filled? Because this isn't just about me. This is about you too. You're to be just as filled with the Spirit as I'm to be filled with the Spirit. It's for everybody. Now listen, I believe, I believe there's a reason that unity is listed last here. Because here, here's what I think. I think you will not have unity without humility and you will not have unity without forgiveness. It's not possible. So, so and by the way, you won't have forgiveness without humility either. So, so the, here's the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes we'll say, this is not listed in any order of importance. I believe this is listed in order of importance. I think this, I think this God is saying, God is saying to us, church family, he's saying, get, get humble. Humble yourselves in the sight of God. And God will lift you up. And by the way, it's not even about being lifted up, but I'm just simply saying that's what God wants for us, is to be humble. And I think humility, lowliness and meekness will lead to long-suffering and forbearance. And I think that if we have humility, we have forgiveness, and it's inevitable we'll have unity as well. You know what else you won't have without unity, forgiveness, and humility? You won't have revival. Can't have it. These are necessary ingredients. So church family, you're going to have to decide tonight. Do we really want revival or do we just want four extra days of preaching. So how do I decide that? Well, you decide that by determining, what am, I, what am I gonna do with what I've heard tonight? Lord, have you shown me that there's some need for humility in my life? Then, Lord, with your help, I'm willing to humble myself. Lord, have you shown me that there's a need for forgiveness in my life? Lord, if, if you'll help me, I'll let go of some things tonight. I might even... In fact, I will. If there's some things that need to be dealt with biblically, I'll deal with them biblically as soon as I possibly can. Lord, if you'll, if you, if you'll give me help, Lord, I'll, I'll seek to be unified with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I believe, listen, I believe if we committed ourselves to these, we could have revival, not on October the 1st. We could have it tonight. Tonight, God could give us revival. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.